Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties 2. This episode features one of the three guests on my hour-long NPR show, heard every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it has broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know, because I care about people who care about cats, dogs, and other creatures who share our planet. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival and the New York Cat Film Festival, which travel America and Canada supporting local animal welfare groups. I could not bring you this show without the support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian who's created a variety of litters to please any cat, as well as inventing clean protein cat foods based on the protein found in cats' natural prey. This show is also made possible with the generous sponsorship of Waruva, the family-owned foreman pet food company named after their rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa, where all their recipes in cans and pouches are human edible because they're made in a human food facility. Good enough for you to eat, but your cats won't appreciate that. I am very happy to be reunited with an extraordinary man in the field of animal welfare. Andrew Rowan is the president of Wellbeing International, and he's been a tireless advocate for animals, people on the planet. I don't know how many decades, many decades. Andrew, it's wonderful to have you back, but it's kind of on a, a tricky, prickly subject, which is cats in Australia, about which you wrote a, a really good article with Laura Goss. In, in your magazine. Do right. you think that this problem has a solution? I mean, it, it's just, I guess, pretty disturbing to those of us who've been following it to know that in modern times, not medieval times, the Australian government in 2015 slaughtered about 2 million cats. Is that right? Or they, they claimed well, they that they would set, slaughter they, they 2 million. They set that aim. They set an aim of 2 million cats. But, right. Um, uh, I, I don't wish to uh, uh, sort of say that this is better, but it was about 200,000, uh, an estimated 200,000. Uh, it's you know the so basically you've got several different cat populations that we're talking about, and it's important to be clear about what population Good. we're actually discussing. Please do. Um, so so you've got pet cats, which are pretty much you know under the control of a particular household and sort of managed by a particular household. You have stray cats living in and around human uh, communities. Um, that um, So they're living in already pretty disturbed environments, uh, by, disturbed by humans. And then you have feral cats that uh, have successfully sort of invaded the wildlands of Australia. Um, and uh, have very little to do with humans. They they basically basically become successful wild predators. Um, and um, you know those are the three populations okay. that we're talking about. And um, so the pet population should be you know it's a matter of persuading people to behave in a certain way. Uh, the stray population in and around human habitation again. Uh, that's a matter of persuading people to behave in a certain way, and we know how to manage those cats and how to manage them humanely. Uh, the fact of the matter is that people confuse those cats with the feral population, 
which is a much trickier, much more daunting task. Uh, you know, if you want to manage the feral population and essentially Australia wants to eliminate these wild cat populations, um, they've, 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 they've tried this with numerous different species. Australia has an invasive species problem, okay. a very big problem. And, um, you know, they've got cane toads that were brought in. They've got foxes that people brought in because they wanted to hunt foxes on horseback. Okay. They've got um, uh, camels. They've got um, donkeys. They've got a, a litany of, of species that have been brought in by humans that have now uh, sort of taken, taken to the Australian environment and proliferated, uh, sometimes very successfully, and cats are amongst those. And that's bad news for the endemic endemic species that uh, basically evolved with very little predator um, uh, impact. Certainly not uh, an efficient predator like the house cat. Well, you've you've so, explained so, it very well, and of course, it is vastly different than the feral cat populations that we see in other developed nations. I'm going to refer to Australia as a developed nation because. In my view, because I uh, welcome myself to have opinions, I think the way that they've handled this is barbaric because these feral cats that were brought in by humans, no fault of the cats, and run wild and free, perhaps on certain islands or certain areas, and maybe herding wild birds or little little rodents of some kind that are considered more precious in Australia, but to poison them is what makes it barbaric because not only is poison incredibly painful and not really efficient, but many other animals can have access to the poison. So now you have all kinds of, uh, you know, I won't even call it an unintended consequence. It's an expected consequence. So right. the feral cats that that we know about in other developed nations live around human developments and they're managed when people are educated and willing. Well, I, I'd say I, I, I would dispute that. The feral cats, so again, there are wild cat populations in the United States that are not being helped or managed by humans at all. No, um, I was just going to so, go to your second group and say that the feral cats around human populations are managed with TNR. Community cats and people trap, neuter, release, and then somebody looks after that community's health and well-being and feeds them. And there's some yeah, right. grumbling about that if they, you know, mess in somebody else's vegetable garden, but they're not doing massive harm to the environment. I understand there's yeah. huge debates about that, but let's just say they aren't. But in Australia, and even parts of Hawaii, as I understand it, the cats have gone completely wild. So probably the word feral is not as useful because the feral cat populations in the United States, in Great Britain, in Italy, in France, in Spain, are managed by humans, and they some of them were just one generation away from being an owned cat, right? So that's the that's a different use of the word feral, isn't it? Well, yes, but it's you know, I mean, in the United States, so so the the, the welfare issue with the feral cats; these are cats that are not being managed by humans. Right. And yes, there are colonies in, in and around human habitation in the United States where you do have human volunteers 
you know, sort of feeding them, steril- catch, trapping them and sterilizing them and taking care of their uh, wounds and, and injuries. Right. But, um, the, um, but there are cats that live out in the wilds. Now, typically in the United States where you have active other predators, right. um, the, the, the cats don't succeed very well because right. coyotes clean up whatever cats there are in sort of wilder spaces. And so, so cats typically don't survive very long in those in those spaces. But um, and they don't appear to be that many of them. But in Australia, there are no, there are. I mean, there's the dingo, and there's there's uh, been a lot of discussion about how you know the dingo might be able to address the cat population. Where dingoes are, there are fewer feral cats. So, um, but dingoes are also you know a predator. They also prey on the marsupial populations, these unique endemic species in Australia and in New Zealand. New Zealand has the same problem because of the the successful sort of invasive species community. Um, but it's so so the the biology here is a little different between say a, a, a cat in in America where you've got weasels and stoats and lots of other what you might call meso carnivores that um, compete the, the cats are competing with them essentially as I opposed see. to just simply eliminating a popu- a naive popular prey species that have not had to evolve and worry about this type of predation so so it's so it's so the biology is somewhat different in australia and new zealand and so i i am sympathetic to the concerns of the conservation biologists in those countries because um the you know the cat can and has done significant damage on small islands and hawaii is a particular case although in hawaii again uh, the cat is blamed for the eradication of many bird species, but it was a mosquito um, that <laughs> brought in uh, brought in an, a disease that killed off the Hawaiian birds. That was the problem. And yes. the fact of the matter is that the Hawaiian species that live above a certain um, uh, height on the mountains where the mosquito doesn't go are, are doing relatively much better than the ones down around the coastlines of the Hawaiian Islands. So, so it's you know the the reason for some of these sorts of um, endangerments vary from place to place, and there's a local biology that one has to sort of take into account, and not simply say, oh, it's all the cats, or, it's, or maybe right. in some places it's the rats. When in Australia, um, uh, the Australians have eradicated cats from some islands, and one of the sort of more challenging of these islands is a place called Macquarie. Um, where they eradicated the cats, and the cats were keeping the rabbits and some of the herbivores under under control. And when they eradicated the cats, the herbivores went wild and basically ate all the the vegetation. So so it so they've now had to go in and try to control the rabbits that are also an invasive species in Australia. And so it's you know it's it, it's it's a convoluted and complex ecology that ecological system that we have to deal with and this issue of going out and eliminating feral cats from the australian outback that's the challenge i mean the the idea that you can poison them and you know kill them all off it's it's nobody has demonstrated that this is a viable solution conservation solution at all so it's a very challenging task as to what one might or might not do 
the poisons are, are, are horrendous, yes. I mean, uh, and what's interesting here is that both in Australia and New Zealand, where they have these big problems with invasive species um, threatening their local wildlife, um, they've developed, uh, they've taken concerns about how to manage the, these invasive species humanely uh, to a, a fairly sophisticated level. They're talking about, well, what type of, what type of process might we use that's humane in these situations? So there's a lot of discussion about the humaneness of different wildlife control methods. Um, but it's at the end of the day, um, there's still this general sort of very strong antipathy towards these cats and the foxes. Both foxes and cats are, you know, they occupy a very similar niche out, out in the Australian outback. And so uh, you eradicate the cats. I'm not sure what you do about the foxes. I mean, <laughs> and so, so, so it's, it's, a, it's a challenging, challenging environment. We were involved when I was at the Humane Society. We were involved in rescuing or removing cats from the island of San Nicolas. This is right. one of the California co islands off the coast of California. And it was owned by the Navy. The Navy used it for some of its exercises. And uh, a, a naval station on the island had introduced cats onto the island. Well, there's an island this. fox yes. that everybody is worried about. And, of course, there's the bird species, the, wild, the seabird species and colonies and things like that that people are worried about. So the Navy and various other organizations decided to remove the cats. And they used traps. They couldn't catch them. They used leg hole traps because uh, the sort of have a heart type trap didn't work. The cats were too Clever. leery of those right. things. So leg hole traps were the way. But they had to be careful because they had foxes that they wanted to protect. And the foxes and the cats were about the same size. So they, so they used padded leg hole traps in order to avoid injuring the foxes who would also get trapped in these traps. And they had... Um, you know, sort of high-tech um, notification systems so that the moment an animal was trapped, they knew it was trapped and they would go out and check the trap and release if it was a fox and take it if it was a cat. At any rate, they caught 58, they, they ended up catching 58 cats. Uh, that's including, and, and they were removed. And the Humane Society then took those cats and put them in a, a wildlife rehab center in Southern California because the, one of the conditions of this whole process was that the cats would not be able to predate um, wildlife anywhere else. Right. So those cats are now living in a wildlife rehab facility. Some of them gave birth to kittens who were able to be adopted, and some of the feral cats have sort of tamed down to the point where they might be able to be adopted. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a long-term challenge, and it's going to cost, I mean, uh, the cost of keeping those 58 cats it's and, absurd, uh, isn't it? alive for the rest of their lives and, and safety away from wildlife is going to be in the million-dollar range. So it's not a cheap. It's no, no, and, and not a solution that has any logic to it. I guess yeah. really the, the, the issue is, in, in a nutshell, that there is an animal management problem in Australia, and it is yeah. man-made, and nobody thought to control it until, the, if you will, the proverbial horse was out of the barn. But to use an, a, a particularly vile uh, poison that is banned substance in many other countries and just sort of put it out there and think, well, at least we'll get some of the 
two million cats. Yeah. I don't know, it's just sort of, when I say barbaric and that it's the modern times, everybody knows better. And all these countries have people working in uh, animal welfare, if you want to call it that, or even planetary right. welfare, and they should all talk to each other. And it's just, it's astounding and I would hope embarrassing for Australians to realize that they're doing this in this sort of slipshod, not thinking of even three three yards down the road, this kind of process that's not solving their problem. And then, as they've already figured out, oops, another problem. So the bunnies yeah, and then yeah, the fox yeah. and then the cats. So I just want to say thank you for bringing up the topic. And it isn't an easy there is no easy answer. I suppose if there were, they would have found it. And the issue isn't whether this gigantic number of feral cats, which at some point will explode or implode. I mean, these islands can't sustain them indefinitely because of how quickly cats reproduce. It's not a question of whether they should be removed, but how. That's all. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really yeah. a how question. And I just really wish that whoever the people are in the Australian government um, had a little more common sense and were able to reach out to people smarter than them. And I feel I could say that safely because nothing they've done seems particularly intelligent or effective. Reach out to smarter people to help them figure out a solution. So I'm really glad that Wellbeing International exists and your magazine brings to light many really important topics around the, the planet and animals. And I just want to say again, Andrew Rowan, thank you for the, the work you've done for a lifetime and the wisdom you bring to the field. Keep on doing that. And I look forward to having future conversations with you about other topics in your wonderful magazine. Thank you so much. Well, I thank you for, uh, thank you for having me, Tracy, and, and, uh, and thank you for what you do. I mean, uh, you're, um, you're making a big difference as well, so I very much appreciate that. Well, you're kind to say that the cats in Australia are not affected by any of our thoughts. But anyway, we will bring it up and hope that, that, that people listening can do something in, in some small way. Thanks again, Andrew. Thank you for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will support all of these companies because they stand behind my mission, which is to bring you delightfully informative pet talk radio. Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, creates holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. They make many non-chemical products for the inside and outside of your pets, as well as innovative foods like no-hide chews and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which sometimes is all that my Weimaraner Maisie will eat. I'm very grateful also to Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two extraordinary women, Allison and Hannah, who cook dog food from the most pristine human edible ingredients and ship it to your door in frozen pouches. It's higher quality and more ethically sourced than my own food. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this one guest version of Dog Talk and Kitties 2, and we'll listen to other episodes sometime soon.